Well, it's a happy new year to David Bacher of Korean Capital. And uh, we have the Korean report a little bit later than usual, David. My fault. I was in Australia at a family wedding. Beautiful. Lovely to see family. Uh, Australia, nice place. Uh, don't know why so many South Africans want to live there, though. Uh, very different to us. But uh, good to be talking with you again. And we're going to try something a little different today by using your video that you put together every time just to just to illustrate now obviously i know there are a lot of people listen um to our conversation on the podcast so we're not going to disadvantage them in any way but it'll just add a little bit of uh, enjoyment i think to those who are watching on youtube but david how's the new year treated you so far sure it's been uh, back with a bang uh, you know clients are obviously uh, coming back from their holidays, asking the right questions, and um, we're reflecting on 2023 for them, and and also more importantly, looking ahead on, you know, how we need to allocate our clients' money. So it's been busy, but I must say I did enjoy the couple of weeks off in in late December. I think we all needed those. Let's uh, decode the year, but before actually before we go into that, this video that you put together, and it's always in the Korean report. It looks like quite a lot of work. Um, I, I suppose the adage uh, practice makes it, um, I wouldn't say perfect, that's a bit arrogant, but uh, better and easier to put out. So we've got a good capable team at Korean. We think about it uh, a couple of days before the month ends, so it gives us a bit of time. So as uh, the numbers come in the next day, we sort of know what we're going to be doing. Um, and we get it out within like four or five hours. It's taken us a long time to be able to get to that position. Uh, but, you know, good team uh, and planning ahead enables us to, to get this out quite quickly. Oh, it certainly does make perfect, even though you don't uh, uh, take that attribute. All right, let's just um, have a look at maybe the major part. I love this animation that you've got in there. Talk us through this. That's obviously Jay Powell, uh, who is now bringing in the aeroplane called the US economy to give it a soft landing? Yeah, I think we try and, you know, when you decode in the year, you try and think out what the highlights were. And if you cast your mind back to how we ended 2022, it was all about the hard recession and and the fear of recession. And that was the main uh, topic. And I think the Fed has managed it quite well. And uh, James Powell, his interest rates, what we've got depicting for those of you on podcast is uh, him being an air, air controller and a plane landing and the heading is a soft landing in the US. And I think that was a reason or one of the primary reasons why global markets and particularly the US uh, performed so well. And they took off towards the end of the year after a really awful October. November was a massive rebound and December not bad either. Correct. I think it was the pivot or the perceived pivot by, by the Fed in that uh, they were steering the investment community to potentially cutting interest rates a bit quicker than anticipated. And that was the fuel that uh, uh, made the markets rally. Why is that so important, David? Why is the US, oh, that's okay, it's 26% of global economic activity, but why is its actions or the action by its lesejo hanyajo um, so relevant to investment markets and indeed even to us here in South Africa? 
great question. So I think your number about how big the actual economy is relative to the world is accurate, around 26%. But what's quite important is the actual market cap of America versus the world is much, much higher. It's in like 65 66%. So it has a massive contribution to global equities. What the U.S. does, you know, obviously drives your, your global return. So that's the one element is awaiting. And the other element is, and to answer your question more directly, is why are interest rates so important? Well, interest rates are so important because it is one of the key ingredients in how you value companies. If you look at you know what is a company worth, you're actually taking its future cash flows and discounting it back to today's value. And the key uh, ingredient in how you discount those cash flows is interest rates. The lower the interest rates, the higher your terminal value is, the higher your value is uh, of your company. And that's why it's so important. Okay. So I'm just going to decode that a little bit for those who aren't as, as uh, au fait with financial terms. When you buy a share, what you're buying is what that share is going to, what the company is going to give you per share for its lifetime or for as long as it exists. And so when you talk about discounted cash flow, it's how mu- what kind of earnings that company is going to make uh, until, it, until it dies. I guess one day it is going to die. And that's the bet that you're making. Now, what you've just explained to us is that when interest rates are high, then that depresses the value of what the, uh, the income you're going to get. Of course, when interest rates are low, it makes it more appealing. And so you buy shares when interest rates are low, not so much when they're high. Is that about uh, decoded well? That's much better than me, so thank you for, uh, for that. Yeah, and I'm obviously, that's a simplistic view. There are other factors, how the company is growing, where the valuations start, et cetera. But that is the answer on why interest rates are so important. No, indeed. And, of course, it's simplistic. And, of course, it's far more complex than that. And that's what keeps hundreds of thousands of very well-paid people occupied every day, every second of the day in this incredible thing called the global equity markets. But a, a good point you made there about American shares being about, say, two-thirds of the value of all the shares in the world. So if you're going to invest in shares, well, don't ignore those two-thirds. That's really a, a, a big part of it. And I guess now you've explained to us why Jay Powell is so important. All right, let's talk about the, the year as a whole and how those asset classes rebounded. In other words, if you'd had money in equities or bonds or gold or property, how you would have done in 2023? Uh, Investors will be very happy with the outcome. So if you look at the high level numbers, you've got equities being global equities up 22%. You had bonds being strong, which was up 5%. And given that bonds, you know, interest rates were close to zero uh, not so long ago. Um, And also property was was close to double digit return. So uh, a, a, on a high level, very good returns for for investors. Uh, but as always, you've got to dig a bit deeper, and there were divergence beneath, uh, you know, specifically the equity return. Okay, and gold had a good year. Yeah, that that was uh, quite surprising. I suppose there's there's gold and the new liquid gold being Bitcoin, which had a spectacular year, um, and that was on the back of. Uh, inflation, geopolitical risk, um, inflation being high and geo- 
political risk being escalated. So the, the gold price ran, you know, north of $2,100, where, you know, late last year it was uh, about 1800 1900 So the younger generation would say, if you were smart enough to go into digital gold, Bitcoin, you would have multiplied your money. If you'd uh, been an old bullet and uh, just held on to the gold itself, you'd be up 14%. But I guess if you bought Kruger Rands, given that the Rand was weak, you would have done even better than what happened to bullion. Correct. Those are dollar returns. So anything in dollars converted back to rands when your your currency depreciated will will, will make those returns look a, a lot better. Okay. So in the United States, those mega caps, those sixty, uh, well, two thirds of the uh, of the market, as you uh, explained, we got real lucky in the Biz News portfolio. We had Nvidia as one of our equities there, and it has been a spectacular performer. The reason for that, I must tell you, David, is a year ago I was in Davos and I was listening to the guys talking about the AI, artificial intelligence revolution, and so came back and added a few AI companies into the business portfolio. But my goodness, when you when you consider 239% in the year, almost 200% for, for Meta, uh, and Amazon up 81%, Tesla up 100%, Alphabet up 58%. You've got to ask yourself whether it's overdone. 100%. So I think one of the most outstanding statistics of last year was the so-called Magnificent Seven, which you just named, plus Microsoft, um, contributed, I think, almost two-thirds to the S&P 500 return. So you could have got, you know, a much more benign return if you weren't invested in, in, in these seven shares that had such a massive contribution to global returns. Very diplomatic. Benign return, i.e. Mm, just about nothing. Um, and, <laughs> but if you, you had the Magnificent Seven or if you were individually invested in the uh, Magnificent Seven, as our portfolio was, NVIDIA, Amazon and Microsoft, three really shot the lights out. Correct. And that's, I mean, I'm talking from our personal experience and the Korean experience. And one thing we got wrong uh, as a house was we were underweight the US and underweight tech. And I think on the beginning of this year, uh, you know, I said we overweight uh, the equities, but underweight the US. My goodness, was that that the wrong call? We got it wrong or we own it. And that's investing. You're going to get things, get things wrong. So, on the base of valuations, we were positioned differently, but AR was a big defining event. It changed the landscape. Um, but I think the lessons learned from our side and, and, and thankfully for our clients, the net returns to our clients for 2023 were, was actually quite good. Um, most of our funds outperformed their benchmark. And I think that's the lesson of you know, in investing, you're always going to get things wrong. Just make sure you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. Make sure you've got enough uh drivers of return because you are going to get things wrong and and as i said fortunately our portfolio construction was right but on this specific position we looked a bit foolish all the investment books that you read tell you that if you can get it just two-thirds right if you get two out of three of your calls right you'll be a spectacularly successful investor so i guess uh, humility helps as well well there we go just adding um the Microsoft and Apple as well. South Africa, however, not a great year. Yeah, so uh, the, the, the 
the chart that you're showing is is in dollars, and you'll see in a dollar perspective, uh, we returned uh, 1.5%, closer to 10% in a rand perspective. Um, so it's it's it looks a bit worse because of our currency depreciation. But I think you do have to value assets in in hard currency. Um, so you, you know, South Africa did did struggle. We didn't struggle as much as China, and I think that was another key feature of last year. If you look at yeah, you know, everyone was rushing to China. China was down 11% last year um, in dollars. So, uh, you know, US up 26%, China down 11%. Those are your two biggest economies, two different, two very, very different results. Yeah, South Africa being affected by that China situation as well because of processor NICEPAS in the last month of the year, getting that shock when the Chinese government decided in December to give Tencent, another hiding uh, by affecting the amount of gaming that the Chinese population are allowed to do. It's very dangerous when you have an all-powerful government, and particularly one that is not uh, focused towards free enterprise or indeed won't get voted out of power uh, by the population anytime soon. So I guess good lessons there as well, David. Correct. I remember I was about to go for a swim in Umschlang on the beach, and I looked at my phone and I saw that, and you know, that certainly ruined my swim. Um, but the good news is I think the rhetoric afterwards from, from the Chinese government was, you know, they realized that that was uh, very negatively and rightly negatively perceived. And I, I think the rhetoric following that was a little bit more um, supportive for, for investors. And I wouldn't say all the damage has been caught up, but the majority has, has been made yeah. up. Processes also in the business portfolio. So while on the one end we did exceptionally well from NVIDIA, process, mm, not so good. But we live in hope. And the RAND, the poor old RAND. Yeah, it's um, especially if you look at the last half of this year, I mean, over the full year it depreciated 7.5% versus, versus the dollar, while the euro, the pound, um, uh, the Brazilian rail were all, uh, gainers to the dollar, so we did go the the other way. Um, but another interesting fact about the rand is, if you the last six months, it, it it was very very volatile, um, intra quarters and and intra month. But for the second half of the year, it went actually nowhere. So the the loss was actually in the first half of the year. Um, but if you managed to actually, you know buy dollars at the right time and sell rands at the right time. There were a lot of investment opportunities to allocate capital because of, of, of the volatility uh, during that period. Well, moving on now for the local asset classes here in South Africa. Uh, it has been an interesting time for equities. Uh, in, in, and as you said earlier, overall, the market here uh, didn't do too badly, even though the in, in US dollar terms, it, it wasn't great. But in RAND terms, at least it went forward. Correct. It, it was also heavily impacted by our resource companies. Um, platinum shares particularly were down uh, you know, almost uh, some of them 50%. Um, so it was a tale of, of two outcomes, really. Financials, I think, were up uh, north of 20%, I think 21%, 22%, while the resource sector was, was down about 11%. So um, it depends on which equities you were invested in. And those funds that were out overweight um, 
resource shares, I think, were found themselves at the bottom of the the, the rankings, uh, and vice versa. Those who are overweight financials and more industrial shares had a better outcome. It's interesting to notice that property did okay relative to the other sectors in South Africa. Uh, but the big winners, the big winners were, as you said earlier, resource shares and particularly gold shares. I mean, how many doubling in the year? Yeah, so gold shares did well. Um, uh, obviously, the the rand appreciated and um, the, the the spot price of gold uh, increased. So that's a good combination uh, if you get to those two key drivers of returns. Um, but the gold shares were were, were the exception uh, in terms of the resource basket. Uh, the more uh, copper, iron ore, and particularly uh, platinum-focused companies certainly had a very, very tough year on the back of declining uh, commodity prices. Interesting to see Sunlum up nearly 60%. Is there any story there that uh, you can elaborate on? Sure. Um, uh, Well, uh, you know, financials as a whole did did really well, so uh, that probably contributed you know, approximately half of the the reasons why it had a particularly a good period, um, but company specific reasons, I actually don't actually have a, a an answer to put forward to you that uh, that can that can attribute that properly. Well, I can tell you one person who's delighted with that is Paul Hanratty. Remember, the ex um, old mutual CEO went over and worked for Sunlum, took a a lower salary and a, a bigger incentive. And he didn't look terribly clever for the first couple of years. But my goodness, 2023 has been good for the Henretti household. Worst of the bunch, I guess, is uh, mm, pretty sad there to see that uh, the, the, the platinum shares, uh, Sabanya, Stillwater and Impala Platinum really getting hammered. Yeah, I mean, losing 50% of your market cap in a year is, is dire. There's no two ways about that. Um, you know, it is to some extent the nature of investing in resource shares. Um, they are cyclical. Um, they are highly leveraged companies. Um, but, you know, th- these uh, things can turn quite quickly. Um, and it just takes a, you know, a change in a, a commodity price and maybe uh, load shedding to, to, to turn that. So tough 2023, hopefully a better 2024 ahead. Isn't that a theory that some people adopt where um, in the year ahead, they sell the shares that did well, did best last year and buy the shares that did worst? Yeah, it's called your mean reversion strategy. So um, you know, there are different ways of investing. There's not one is right. They're just different. Um I haven't seen enough empirical evidence to suggest that that's a a winning strategy. Um, So, you know, I'm on the fence on that one. Um, I don't think you can limit that kind of outcome to a specific period. Uh, We at Corian feel much more comfortable about looking at the value at a particular time and relative to a a long history and a long outlook, rather take a mean uh, reversion outlook in terms of a company's valuation as opposed to its company's return of the previous year. That old story about the voting machine, um, of which Warren Buffett and Benjamin Graham spoke a lot about. Okay, so let's uh, let's give the, the best funds, the best funds um, of the past year, because this is really what the Korean Report uh, hones in on every month. The best performing fund 
2023 in general equity, which is, I guess, where most of the money is, once again went to Fairtree. These guys are getting it right, David. Nearly 18% return in the in the year when, as you uh, explained to us a bit earlier, the market itself uh, wasn't anywhere close to that. Yes, I, I mean, I have been quite complimentary of Fairtree uh, in previous uh, interviews. I do want to state, though, on this occasion, uh, it's important to know that there's two different Fairtree equity funds. So they're much bigger fund, uh, which has done really well over uh, uh, longer longer periods, actually had a tough year. They were overweight resources. Um, this fund, which is still in the house and managed by a different team and different process, um, actually was on the uh, the other side of the scale. So they have they have two horses in the race. Um, so the one did really, really well, um, but it is managed by a different team. But their bigger, more flagship portfolio um, actually had a, had a difficult year. Multi-asset high equity. Explain that to us. And indeed, the leader there, Centaur Balanced Fund. So what uh, the industry does, which is for the benefit of investors, it, each fund or collective investment scheme has to declare which category it invests in. So clients can know that they're comparing like funds to like funds. So the multi-asset high equity portfolio is actually the biggest category in the universe. It is funds that are, as the name says, has a large exposure to equities but is Regulation 28 compliant. In other words, it's fit for pension fund. It's fit for retirement fund. And the retirement fund regulations limit certain things. And one of the things it limits is your exposure to equities can't be more than 75%. So what you'll find is your high equity funds, uh, your biggest category is those funds that have a significant exposure to equities but not fully invested in equity. So it will have cash, bonds, et cetera, and a more diversified uh, asset mix. And Centaur? Centaur had a, had, a, had a very good year. I mean, 18.2% is, a, is significantly ahead of its peers. I think the category average was about 12%, so that's about a 6% alpha. Um, you know, it's more of a boutique uh, house. Uh, their overweight position to offshore assets and the asset allocation contributed to that. I want to maybe also make a, a shout out to the 91 uh, Opportunity Fund. Um, and the reason why I'm doing that is it probably didn't get as big a return is it's a significant fund. I think that fund has about uh, 75 billion rands of, of assets and it came close to that number. Um, so, you know, a lot of investors would have been affected. We often on the show... Um, you know, punt uh, a lot of the boutique uh, houses, and rightly so, they've done so well. But it's nice to know that a big fund also had a good outcome in that category because obviously a lot of savers would have benefited. Well, I'm going to be talking to Saad Jacobs at the Biz News Conference in March. Sadly, all the tickets have been sold. So uh, those who haven't booked will have to Wait for people to cancel now to get back in. We're going to have 400 people there, David, and it's two months to go. But Sai will be there, and uh, he can tell us a little bit more about how he makes such a good return on such a huge fund. You say $75 billion. That's uh, almost the GDP of a small country. <laughs> it is a big fund. And uh, on the conference, yeah, uh, good news is uh, I'll be there. The bad news is uh, people relying on uh, – on people canceling the tickets, it's not going to be from me. Um, 
really enjoy the event and uh, try and get there every year. So looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank you, David, your support. Uh, and it's always good to have you there as well. Well, that uh, brings the the conclusion for our conversation today. And uh, I'm, I'm very pleased that we were able to do things a little differently and, uh, and to use your video to good advantage for those who are watching on YouTube and not disadvantage those who uh, were uh, or, or prefer to consume via podcasts. Before we go, though, David, after a, a year like we've had in 2023 when there was a view that it was going to be a really tough year, that equities would probably go backwards, and yet they didn't, and they went forward quite strongly, especially, as you mentioned earlier, the tech funds. I suppose anybody who makes a forecast is really just looking to get their neck chopped off, but I'm going to ask you anyway to just give us some kind of a rational approach to how we should be looking at our investments in 2024. I think at Corian, we stress the point, don't look backwards, look forwards. Um, look at a philosophy or an investment approach that works over time. Sometimes you're going to get it right, sometimes you're going to get it wrong. But in the fullness of time, if you stick to a, a proven process, you're going to get it right more often than, than wrong. So on that basis, you know, we still see a lot more value outside the U.S. tech com companies. South African bonds, uh, middle of last year, I said, was looking really, really attractive. That played out quite nicely. We still think it offers quite an attractive real return for investors. So there's a lot of geopolitical risks. In fact, 2024 is probably the year of the most geopolitical risks that I can think of. You've got the U.S. elections, South African elections, two wars going on, power one uh, dispute. So there's lots of noise out there and things to consider. But uh, given that, you know, there still are attractive opportunities out there, um, don't just think that because uh, tech companies or this Magnificent Seven did such an outstanding return over the last year that that necessarily means it's going to continue Often it means actually the reverse. David Bacher from Corian Capital. I'm Alec Hogg from biznews.com.